0: It is supposed to be the preeminent law of the land, of course, 234 years ago. It is designed to check the power of government, not check the power of the people. It is often quoted and it is often used by politicians of both political parties as they swear their allegiance to uphold, defend, and protect it. But are they really? Can we get past the bumper stickers and political slogans? It's time to really dig in and explore what's actually happening with the United States Constitution. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We are very pleased to have Chris Steierwalt join us, uh, frequent guest on the show, because... uh, he is a ink-stained wretch, <laughs> which is actually the name of his podcast, uh, but he's one of the great thinkers in our nation's capital. Uh, he has uh, great work that he always does, of course, with The Dispatch. His uh, piece on uh, constitutional contempt is what we're going to get in today. And, uh, of course, Chris also does extraordinary work over at uh, AEI, uh, American Enterprise Institute, uh, Arthur Brooks once said. I said uh, the American uh, Inner Tube Institute, uh, but we're going to have Chris. <laughs> just so you know, if you ever hear that, that's where that came from, Chris. But thanks it's, for joining it's, us it's, today. It's, it's the
1: money. It's the money behind a big inner tube. That's really what's driving a <laughs> lot of that. That's and r- and calling me one of the the leading thinkers in Washington is is really damning with St. <laughs> praise that is really
0: that's tough actually i was going to say you're the only great thinker in Washington left <laughs> <I know>. today <laughs> we
1: we have the thinkers in Washington we have our meetings at a phone booth down at constitution <laughs> at first
0: <laughs> and it's hard chris because the longer you stay there the you know i uh, i went to a uh Raiders football game, uh, the Monday night game, and uh, felt uh, during portions of the game that I was losing brain cells at an accelerated pace uh, in the midst <laughs> yes, of the exactly. game. And hanging out in Washington, I think, has the same effect. But uh, your, you tin, know your tinfoil hat will protect you. I'm sure you'll be good. Uh, but, right. but let's dive into this. Uh, we are to Constitution Day and, of uh, course, 1787, uh, a seminal year for the world uh, as the Constitution uh, got pen to paper. And as we've gone through, particularly over the last decade, you have pointed out that uh, the contempt for the Constitution uh, has really accelerated. Uh, and it's not just a, a left issue or a right issue. It seems to be everybody uh, has some contempt for the Constitution these days.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's important for me to remember that I may see things differently because of my own experience and that things look different uh, because of your own life lifetime. But it seems to me like – and you can probably really go back to George W. Bush and his signing statement on the McCain-Feingold campaign finance law, which, by the way, I think has been, has been borne out as one of the worst, maybe the worst piece of legislation of my lifetime. And when George W. Bush signed that bill into law, he said, I don't think it's constitutional. In his statement at the and when he announced the signing, he said, I say I have problems with the constitutionality of this legislation. I think there are components that are unconstitutional and I think it will be struck down by the courts. And he signed it. And that's wrong because Mm -hmm. the oath that the president takes. Is to not the people, not the welfare, not the goodness, not the niceness, not the honesty, but to the Constitution. Yeah. And and he and he did that now. That was uh, that was low grade bad. But things accelerated. Right. Barack Obama then went on uh, because he was stuck uh, on the issue that he thought would be crucial to his reelection uh, and then wanted to make good on promises uh, about uh, people who came to the United States illegally as minors, were brought to or came to the United States as minors, the dreamers. He said, I'm not a king. I don't have the power to do it. The Constitution doesn't grant me to supersede the laws that Congress has passed. I can't do it, he said, a bunch, a bunch of times. Yeah, And then he did it. And then he did it. He said, I'll just do that. Um, and then Donald Trump, on many occasions, in many ways, also profaned the Constitution, whether it was refusing to honor duly issued subpoenas from Congress, uh, whether it was uh, taking money out of the defense budget to, for border uh, fencing that uh, the Congress had seven times, I believe, refused to fund. And but the big one, of course, was telling Mike Pence to subvert the Constitution and interrupt uh, the peaceful transference of power. Joe Biden wasted no time. Right. He gets in and immediately says, I can do this, too. Right. And I you know what Trump did on for that resulted in January 6th is in a category apart. But it's part of a trend, too, uh, because what Biden picks up with is he says, well, I can't just order that landlords can't evict people who don't pay their rent. And then Congress said, we don't want to pass law. We'd rather you do it. And isn't that perverse yeah. that one of the branches of government that's supposed to be competing for power says to the executive, no, you take the power. We don't want to use it. So Biden says, OK, I'll try it and the courts will probably strike it down, but we'll just go for it. And that was all pretty shocking, right? That was all, it, or it should have been pretty shocking uh, to see politicians, Bush, Obama, Uh, Trump, Biden, all use the Supreme Court as a get out of jail free card. I'm going to do stuff that I think is wrong and unconstitutional, but I'm just going to count on the fact that the Supreme Court will be there to to keep things in order. But what Biden did with the vaccine mandate, and here I should point out what he did as it relates to federal employees who work under him, that he has authority over them. If he told them that they had to uh, talk in a uh, Donald Duck voice, or whatever he told them that they had to do. He is the chief executive, so he can tell federal employees to get vaccinated. He can also insist that if you do business with the federal government or get federal monies, that you require uh, vaccination for your employees. But that he invents this new power to say that he can force private companies to be the the delivery device for an individual uh, vaccine mandate is crazy. And the frustrating thing for me is a lot of lawyers who I respect get stuck in the question of, is it legal? But there are a lot of things that are legal and not constitutional. I don't even know that this one's legal. I don't think you can stretch the 1970 Occupational Safety and Health Act to cover uh, making people get a medical treatment, but Whatever, whether it's legal or not, that's not the right debate that we should be having as Americans. Does it honor the Constitution? Does it preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution? Does it show fealty to the Constitution? And that definitely does not.
0: I want to break it into a couple of categories and drill down just a little bit with you, Chris. And one is this uh, the power you you pointed out, that Congress just seems to be all too comfortable abdicating power to the executive branch, which, of course, is always uh, all too happy to take that power. Uh, But part of the reason to me seems to be that that Congress doesn't want to be accountable Uh, You know, we've seen we see this over and over that, uh, you know, Congress will pass some general sweeping, happy sounding, you know, blue sky and rainbows bill. Everybody cheers and then they give all the power to decide what it is, uh, who gets to enforce it, what the rules are, what the penalties are over to some executive branch agency. And then when they have one of their constituents come in and say, hey, this is killing my business or this is hurting my family. Then the member of Congress can shrug their shoulders and say, well, hey, you know, I just passed the blue sky and rainbows bill. You know, go talk to the agency. Right.
1: (laughs) uh, You know, who are not elected and who
0: say, I don't care. Tough luck. Uh, And then, of course, you know, things end up in the courts. And uh, we wonder why we have such battles over uh, court appointees, because every time the executive branch acts that way or overreaches that way, then somebody files a lawsuit and we go to the courts. And uh, it seems to me that that part of not upholding that oath to the Constitution uh, is getting bigger, not smaller.
1: Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, uh, Plus one. And the, the truth is, our Constitution is a product of moral imagination. Our Constitution... So there, there are some moments in human history, there are some moments in time, uh, and, you know, uh, let's, uh, you know, shout out to St. Augustine, uh, there, there are moments in time, there are philosophers in time that say, okay, this is what human beings are like, this is what human nature is. William Shakespeare is great, even today, not just because he had a good turn of phrase, but because his plays reflect the understanding of human nature and what people are really like. And Mr. Madison and his, uh, and his cohort uh, the, that were framing the Constitution understood a fundamental thing, and they had this great moral imagination that they could understand that ambition had to be made to counteract ambition, that people would always want power for its own sake, that people would always want to rule over each other, and that they would try to do that. And they, they knew it, and they said, so we're going to create a system. That balances those powers against each other, so that too much power can't collect in one place. Yeah, exactly. the only failure, the real failure of their moral imagination, though, was that they could not imagine a time would come when one branch—not just any branch, but the most important branch, the Article One branch, the place where most of the power is located—that that branch of government would intentionally devolve its own power. Mm. That would it would intentionally, for political reasons. Devolve its own power because it's a heck of a lot easier to do nothing, try to get clicks, try to get attention, try to be famous than it is to do the gritty work of grinding out governance. And I'll tell you what, if Congress – and we know it's true because we've watched it happen now for 40 years. When Congress doesn't do its job, people will demand – that the president step in to fill the vacuum. And Congress has been more than happy to let that happen. And that's the road to authoritarianism. The road to authoritarianism, the the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are not there to protect us from unpopular things. They are there to protect us from the rule of the mob, right, Mm -hmm. to say, even if you want to do it, if there's one word that you could describe our Constitution with, it would be anti majoritarian to preserve the rights of minority groups, to preserve the rights of people who are not going with the flow, and to place our God-given rights and liberties over the will of the people. Our rights are more important than democracy, and that's what our Constitution says. But what we find ourselves in is a trap where Congress, which is supposed to be the representative body, where Congress refuses to do its job because it is inconvenient and politically unhelpful, so the, the, the cry of the people goes out to the president, well, do something, And as he does, we further denigrate uh, the safeguard against tyranny.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and, uh, thugs and bad guys and dictators uh, have used uh, that division uh, to hold on to power uh, for centuries. Mm -hmm. And we've got to learn that lesson that as long as they convince us that we're too divided – uh, to deal with health care or immigration or criminal justice reform, whatever it is, uh, gives Congress the excuse to do nothing. It gives presidents of either party the ability to do things by executive order because, you know, we're just too divided. So uh, I guess I'll have to stand up and do it. And it, it maintains that status quo. A uh, power. And uh, I love, Chris, how you framed that in the context of moral imagination. Uh, I'm going to have you back another day. Uh, I had a great conversation uh, with the late uh, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs uh, from England on moral imagination. That was uh, was just a, a great one. I want to bring you back for that. Uh, but I want to close out with, with something from your piece uh, on the dispatch, uh, talking about how many have just kind of Either just put the Constitution into this frame of it's a nice aspirational thing, but it's just a little outdated. Uh, or, or using that, hey, you know, we're we're going to help the greater good. We're going to help the people. So, yeah, we may have to trample on that Constitution just a little bit, but but it's a good cause.
1: That's right, <laughs> progressives and nationalists really like the preamble to the Constitution, because w- th- th- these six promises at the beginning, right, uh, that uh, a more perfect union, that was Barack Obama. The refrain of Barack Obama's candidacy and presidency is this more perfect union concept, and that the general welfare is the object of the Constitution. The real preamble to the Constitution, the object of the Constitution, is found in the Declaration of Independence, mm we hold these the real american creed is we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness the constitution is a vehicle designed to do that right that is the point of the constitution is to do that what the preamble means and what the aspirations about niceness and justice and goodness and happiness mean is it's like a recipe The recipe says if you want to have a delicious cake, we all want to have a delicious cake. Always. If you want a delicious cake, exactly, unfortunately, (laughs) always. Uh, If you want to have a delicious cake, follow these steps. And that's what the Constitution is. It's a recipe. And if you're going to follow a recipe or you're going to play a game by the rules, you have to decide when you start out. As my old daddy used to say, the time to decide whether or not you want to kill a deer is before you go hunting. And the idea of our republic is that these rules are set in advance. They prefigure all actions. Before the first Congress met, the Constitutional Convention convened and was ratified and set these as the framework for everything that came after it. It's not about what your goal is in our system. Even if your goal is good, even if it would be lovely and great, and as you say, blue skies and sunshine. That's not good enough. It's got to fit within the four corners of the Constitution.
0: Uh, fantastic insight as always. Chris Steyerwalt from AEI, The Dispatch. You can read all of his pieces there. We'll post those on our social media feeds today. And if you want a great podcast, ink-stained wretches. Retch, is that an mm, ES? Yep. We're
1: wretched. <laughs> yeah. That, we're wretched. So we're wretches.
0: Uh, great stuff as always, Chris. Really appreciate your perspective as we uh, look to the Constitution. And as you rightly pointed out, uh, it is uh, designed to create the outcomes that were articulated in the Declaration of Independence. Great stuff as always, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us today. You bet. Next, we're going to talk about some lessons for Generation Z. Elder D. Todd Christofferson, an apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, spoke up at Utah State University recently and had some advice for Gen Z in terms of balancing ambition and how to live in a pluralistic world and avoid moral relativism. Listen to that coming up next. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon.